You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today's show is part of the monthly series, Food for Thought, in which we unpack some of the big ideas about food and food systems in order to raise the conversation level and stimulate lively discussions to find the way forward together. Today, we'll discuss innovations in agriculture with Margaret Hudson, President and CEO of Burnbury Farms Limited. Welcome, Margaret. Great to be here. So excited to speak with you today, Peggy. Really, really excited to have you on the show, Margaret. Margaret, when Jocelyn Brown Hall, Director of the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, was on the show for World Food Day in October, she said that innovations in agriculture are a global priority, and we need to ensure that there's enough food for everyone. So how does the need for farmers to innovate affect what you do at Burnbury Farms? You know, I would just say, you know, innovation... Is, is we're always innovating. We've been doing it for decades. I would say farmers are very progressive in terms of researching different forms of housing, genetics, feed, always uh, looking for ways to do more with the limited resources that we have on this planet to make the food supply as safe, efficient, and affordable as it possibly can be. And in fact, in the last 50 years, egg farmers of Canada We've, we've basically doubled production while taking down the carbon footprint by half. I mean, we really are um, producing more eggs with less resources. And you look at how have we done that. Um, again, looking at genetics, early on, there was one breed of bird for both, you know, meat and, and egg layers. And, and now, you know, there's different genetic strains and the egg layers are very efficient at converting feed into eggs. And, you know, looking at housing, lighting, what we feed the chickens, controlling temperatures. And, you know, in the last year, we've had avian influenza. Biosecurity has been absolutely critical for the egg supply. So how do we innovate to ensure biosecurity on our farms? And it's just something farmers work on every day. And certainly eggs that are produced on our farm today are produced very differently than they were, you know, 40 years ago or 80 years ago when my dad first started farming he introduced chickens to our, our dairy farm. We continuously improve in our operations to improve the conditions for our hens to maximize welfare and also to minimize inputs like feed and energy and uh, looking for a quality product at, at the lowest price we can get. And we recognize, like you said, there's one planet. It's got limited resources. If we want to feed our rising population, we really need to continue to innovate in agriculture. And we've certainly been committed to that here at Burnbury Farms. I think that what you said is uh, really important to remember that we are all members of the human family and that for it to reach its full potential, for humanity to reach its full potential, food has a special moral status. And so the innovations that are happening on farms uh, in the egg industry and certainly at Burnbury Farms are really, really important. Broader than specifically management best practices is um, specific interest now these days in sustainability. And you mentioned a few things that generally were happening, but I'd like to hear more about Burn Brave Farms. What are some of their specific management best practices? And you've got a sustainability report that you share every year 
and you've got it available on your website for any listeners interested in the Burn Bay Farms Sustainability Report, go to the website and it indicates your unique opportunity to leverage scale and expertise for positive change. Could you expand on this, please? Uh, definitely. And, and you know, we're really excited because we've been working on sustainability forever. We certainly became more strategic around it 10 years ago and, and really built out a strategy and, and maybe a little more intentional about some of our efforts. And, and in the last year, um, we actually published our sustainability report to the public online, which we never had really done before. So we're very excited about that. It's at uh, burnbraefarms.com. And yet, you know, we're a family business, right? We, we've been, we've been farming at the same farm in, in uh, Lynn, Ontario for over 130 years. We have six generation Hudson's now that have, are kind of touch our business and part of our family at the original Burnbrae Farms. And family values and sustainabilities have influenced virtually every decision. And we really do believe as farmers, we're stewards of the land and increasingly, you know, recognizing the role that we play, not just in farming the land, but also in, in uh, sustaining land for wild spaces. And and we have like a thousand acres of 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 forest that and we try to maintain wildlife corridors and and we've planted trees on feral land and we try to maintain even some wetlands where we can and and we really do take all of that seriously but in our actual overall strategy you know we're really look at five distinct areas where we can make the biggest difference and and that's the environment and i've spoken about that animal care you know the birds in our care health and well-being that's of the people that work for us safe nourishing food and you know our food has to be safe we market eggs the most nutritious food on the planet and and we do so in a way that's very safe for canadians and i think canada has one of the safest food supplies and we're so happy to be part of that and also the fifth pillar would be community because we really believe that we need to have an impact in the local communities where where we do business and be good citizens and support support those communities and we've done that we have generations of hudson's prior set that example which we have chosen and tried to carry on and because you know we're a bigger company and we've got scale we're able to take risks and invest in larger projects like the solar powered egg farm that we have in woodstock and and we believe in doing so we help to inspire and set the example for others in, in food and agriculture to do the same. Well, you know, I think anyone that goes to your website and certainly those who look at the uh, corporate sustainability report that you've published that um, everything that you just said is really backed up. It's not just talk, it's not PR and, and consumers are looking for transparency. And, um, you know, in the old days, they knew their butcher, they knew their bread maker, they knew whatever. And now that they align to a brand that they value with firms that are in alignment to their own values. And I think that part of being able to know who's producing food within the values I share is to have things available like the corporate sustainability report so that you can look for yourself to see what's being done across not only Canada, but across generations, because it's been a longstanding value in the Burnbrae farm. So while there's many areas of agriculture and egg production that Burnbrae Farms is leading in environmental progress, power is a specific area where you've made real advancements. In 2019, Burnbrae Farms opens the largest solar-powered egg-laying farm in Canada. And in 2021, you opened a solar field in Lynn, Ontario. What's been the impact of these innovations? So uh, I would say for our farm in Woodstock, 
you know, that that farm is is uh, fully self-sufficient in energy. It produces enough energy in February that it requires. And, and on an annual basis, it actually produces more. So we have an adjoining farm and we actually took the energy down at that farm by 15 percent. So we've had a material impact in terms of taking pressure off the grid and producing um, some good, clean energy. And certainly with the solar field that we put in at the original home farm in Lynn, it's generating 500 kilowatts of energy, and that's enough to power 85 houses annually. And we use that energy on that farm first, and if there's any energy left over, it goes back on the grid. But we've managed to take the requirement down on that farm by 15% as well. But one of the beautiful things about uh, having gone in this direction is the learning, right? You're, we're learning about solar, and we're using that uh, learning to explore uh new projects. And, and I really think it's important for, you know, companies to get in there, become early adopters, become leaders. And, uh, and as you see more companies enter and more, you know, investment in solar or alternative energy, more, more companies that provide alternative energy will enter the market. There'll be more investment in R&D. Um, I always make a comment around you know, my computer, when I was in university, and this is dating myself, but you know, the computer filled a room Well, there's probably more power in my iPhone today. And the investment in computers has made the technology faster, smaller, and more affordable. And if we could have the same happen for the solar cell, wow, you know, if it became faster, uh, smaller, and more affordable, we could have a solar powered world more efficient at lower light levels. Um, so, but people have to get in there and invest so that you see that investment in R and D from and more companies entering the market and and seeing that as a viable alternative for energy moving forward on a broader basis. And so, I just really feel that setting the example as an early adopter, inspiring others, driving more sales, driving more investment, will help to drive that alternative energy market and and get us, you know, less uh, reliant on fossil fuels to power our world. Right. And it starts with that first risk taker, that first person saying, we're going to go for it, we're going to do it. And someone, as you had mentioned before, a scale of Burnbrae Farms is able to take some more risks and smaller farmers, but it does start with an idea in the hearts and minds and then the competence and commitment to execute the action. So it really is a hopeful example not just in agri-food. I know that there'll be real, uh, there's a lot of people thinking, well, let's get in. Burnbury did it. And so now will we do another farmer? Could What could we do? But it's inspiring to consumers because it's things they want for the future that they they work in other types of, of jobs and they can't do it themselves. So to have an example like that and um, knowing that you can support it by buying Burnbury eggs and putting your dollars where um, your values are and things are being produced within values, I think is really, really a great offering for consumers as well as a great example for agri-food, not just in Canada, but elsewhere. After the break, we'll hear more from Margaret Hudson, President and CEO of Burnbray Farms, about new ideas in agri-food. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. We're speaking with Margaret Hudson, President and CEO of Burnbrae Farms Limited today about innovations in agriculture. 
So in terms of innovation, continuing on on the energy line is Burnbury Farms has made a commitment to net zero by 2050. It's a big target. What does it take to achieve this? Yeah, that's a that's a big question because uh-huh. uh, you make the commitment now and it's like 2022 and, uh, you know, we're serious. We, we want to make this happen. We've already, you know, engaged a consultant to help us and, and have started down the road to, you know, how can that be achieved? We're focusing primarily right now on, on scope one and two. So um, areas that we are under more of our direct control and uh, realizing it's very involved, um, all the different areas that you need to look at. But we know uh, one of the biggest solves for us is, is uh, transportation. And, and Canada is a big country, right? And we've got a very wide country and a very small population and we move a lot of goods, right? And, uh, and, and, and I think that that is something that uh, is going to take, you know, an industry to solve. Um, and we want to be part of that again as, as early adopters. Um, it, it, it's uh, having vehicles that are electric vehicles, but also having clean grids to put them onto is also very important. There's no point in putting a, an electric vehicle on a dirty grid and then having enough power to those grids that uh, can handle the new users of that of that energy um, and, and the scale. And so, you know, we do believe you can go there in a small way. Different companies can, can take on one or two electric vehicles, but we really need the solve for the incremental energy requirement the size of the grid, and also the infrastructure to be able to charge the vehicles, which I understand can take quite some time. Um, but I do believe that as companies, like if, if you could just have a number of companies come in, add, you know, a limited amount of technology, become early adopters, you'll see more investment, you'll see investment in the infrastructure to support, you'll see, I am sure the technology improve, the, the charging will get faster. <laughs> You know, and, and it will get better, but uh, you do need to see that early investment and 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 the and then learn from that and from that continue to grow your fleet. But we definitely need to solve for uh, transportation to achieve scope one and two, and and to go down the road for scope three. We we need to get into um, the actual farming of the like, egg production and a commitment from the whole egg industry. To, to move in that direction in order to uh, in order to hit uh, net zero by 2050 all the way into scope three. And, you know, it starts with the idea and the commitment, as you said, and you gave the analogy of the computer before, but I'm thinking of the microwaves. They were almost like refrigerators turned on their side. And we, if we ever mounted it on our walls, we wonder how on earth we did it. And now they're so small, you can some food won't fit in it. So it doesn't have to be perfect in its first iteration. And there's always um, spectators, you know, it's a spec- leadership's a spectator sport. Um, and uh, lots to be said, but the early models aren't going to be the final models and we still need to keep going. And as you said, try to attract enough um, policy support and um, uh, private sector support to really start the innovations in the direction that we we all want them because the whole thing comes back to food for the the entire human family and um, protecting the planet. So new do, new ways of doing things require leadership, which is a commitment to change for a better future. We've heard a lot of that from you today, Margaret. 
you mentioned this also includes risks. There are unknowns financing, and then there's competence, finding the right people with the skill set, either in the science or in the technology or in the management or in the motivation of the people that are connected to the initiative. And it, there's a lot of um, demands on decision makers. Even so, what are some of the areas that Burn Bray Farms is researching and planning right now? Yeah, you know, I, like I said early on, we're always looking at innovation and ways to improve our offering. That can be feed, housing, alternative energy, nutrition of our, our layer hens, our management systems. Uh, I think you deliver great animal welfare through the practices on your farms and making sure that you've got world-class standards in handling and, and transportation and that you've got the systems to reinforce those standards to make sure they're actually happening on the farm every day and ways to, to enforce that. I talked earlier about biosecurity. It's become increasingly important how you keep, you know, disease off your farm. And uh, especially with some highly pathogenic avian influenza, you know, in the wild bird population, it's ever an increasing need for us. And even in our, you know, it's not just about um, our agricultural systems, but also, you know, we're always innovating around grading eggs and processing eggs and adding new processes and new products. And we've always been committed to making eggs the most nutritious food, even more nutritious by adding nutrients that maybe are deficient in the diets of Canadians like omega-3 or lutein like in our Omega Plus egg or, you know, making eggs more convenient. Like we've launched, you know, crustless quiches in the frozen section or hard cooked eggs in the dairy so that we just make eating the world's most nutritious food even easier so people can have that hit of protein midday and really fire them through their day and uh, keep adding all that good muscle. And, uh, you know, we got a number of things that we're working on. I mean, we've, we've done the Woodstock farm. We've done We've done the solar field, so we're always looking at new projects like that for our farms. Um, you know, we've committed to going in zero waste, so trying to figure out how to eliminate byproducts on our farm or even byproducts within the system, looking at packaging, single-use packaging. I know in 1996, we launched the Circular Economy Egg. You know, when we launched our Omega Egg, we, we launched it in a in Pet One plastic which I literally myself went and visited the uh, the waste treatment facility where they were digging pop bottles out of landfill sites and washing them and turning them into recycled RPET. So at night, and we knew those cartons were coming back as egg cartons. And so we had a circular economy package in 96 and, and you know, our egg cartons, the fiber ones have always been circular economy. So looking at ways we can ensure all our offering has a recycling market at the end of consumer use is something that we're very committed to. And, uh, you know, continuing, like we've had some solar tube pilots to replace natural gas and heating of water, you know, as we discussed electric vehicles and solving the transportation problem, you know, even just looking at byproducts on our farms and ensuring that we're minimizing the impact or our manure is is with a fertilizer shortage, you know, it's become increasingly of interest to others and and it uh, has a very positive impact as long as it's applied properly. And so just making sure that we, we do um, manage and uh, control our, our byproducts so that uh, they, they, don't, they don't even have a negative impact, but we can actually have positive impact with, with our byproducts. 
That's amazing. And, you know, Margaret, when you, I hear 1996, you said you went to where they were retrieving these bottles that I think it's really important to share those stories and to hear those messages today, because we need to balance out the worries and concerns. And I'm not saying there are not worries and concerns, but it is helpful to know that there are some people in many places who are trying to use their ingenuity and creativity and whether it's circular economy packaging, whether it's the types of things you just talked about, electric vehicles, we need all hands on deck. And so hearing the early adopters and people who are out there looking for ideas, progress, not perfection, that it's very, very inspiring. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. It's my sincere pleasure, Margaret. Next week on the show, we'll continue our Food for Thought series in a part two discussion on innovations in agriculture with Margaret Hudson, President and CEO at Burnbrae Farms. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist, and you've been listening to the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burnbrae Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.